Amen. Well, it'd be my joy if you would join me in Psalm 90. Maybe you're already there. But Psalm 90, and we're going to look specifically today at one verse. If I had a life verse, a verse that I would think I'm always going to, always thinking about, if there, if there was one verse that I meditate on more than any other, one verse that's constantly resounding in my heart, in my mind, when I'm running, when I'm working, one verse that I pray more than any other verse, it's Psalm 90, verse 14. This verse has been a lifesaver for me um, for the last few years, and I pray this morning that the Lord would use it in all of our hearts We hear this in Psalm 90, verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you would do just that this morning. Lord, we humbly ask, Lord, we... We request, Lord, that you would satisfy us with yourself. That you would satisfy us with your steadfast love, your never-ending love, your always faithful love. Lord, that we might rejoice all our days, that your people, that Christ's fellowship would be filled with so much joy that it would be noticeable. Lord, that you would fill us with so much joy in you this morning, that it would echo not only in our hearts today, but all throughout this next year. Lord, satisfy us with yourself for our joy and your great glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there, there are many dangerous places in the world. There's danger all around us. There are dangers in a war in Eastern Europe right now. There, there's danger right now in the Holy Land. There are dangers in the inner city of Chicago. There, there are dangers in the Amazon jungle. There's a lot of places that I wouldn't want to be alone at night. There are dangers in, in closed countries, in remote places that have never heard the name of Jesus. But do you know the most dangerous place of all? The most dangerous place in all the world is the human heart. It's your heart. The the most dangerous place in the world is the the heart of a, a man or a woman who is insecure in who you are. You don't know who you are, you don't know your true identity. It's the heart that's that's discontent. the heart that's discontent with where you are in your life right now or how things are going in your life or, or how this life is not how you exactly planned it. 
It's the heart that's easily frustrated by other people. That seeks satisfaction in other places other than Jesus. Our hearts are full of so much. Full of so much pride. Full of so much self-pity. Full of bitterness and apathy and lust and discontentment and frustration and anxiety. And we could go on and on and on. The, The heart of man is the most dangerous place in the world. If you don't believe me, just ask your family and friends. They'll they'll tell you that your heart is the most dangerous place of all. They know it's true. Listen, this, this is who I was. This is where I lived, I would say, for most of my ministry. Even most of my Christian life. I, I was a, a pastor for Christ Fellowship for years talking a lot about Jesus, yet crippled with insecurity. Pastoring for for years, talking about Jesus, talking about the gospel, all the while crippled by insecurity. Early on at Christ Fellowship, I would say that there were two main idols, specific idols that consumed my every thought, my heart. Two idols that I love. That's the idol of performance and the idol of productivity. Two idols that broke my heart. My worth all the time was wrapped up in my performance during any given week. And how well the sermon went on Sunday. The response to the sermon on Sunday. The the people that came back the following Sunday, the the follow-up conversations with people during the week. How did it go? My my heart was saying, am I being liked? That's what I cared about. My worth was also wrapped up in my productivity. Being productive in any week. How many books was I reading? How many times did I share the gospel? How many people was I discipling? How many people did I meet with? How many people were there on Sunday? I found my value, my worth, my identity came from my productivity, my performance. Really, you could boil it down to this. All my hope was found in me. All my hope was found in me. I lived in constant state of proving myself, in a, in a constant state of performance anxiety. Maybe you've heard me say it before, because this is how I felt for many years of my life. I thought every second of my life, I felt like I was letting someone down somewhere. Who's that? Where's that person? I, don't, I didn't know. It didn't matter. I was so crippled by insecurity that every second of my life, I felt like I was letting someone down somewhere. I could be in a meeting with a young brother for discipleship and wondering, who am I not meeting with? 
I, I could be reading God's word. Think about this. Spending time with the Lord and yet thinking about what visitor have I not texted yet? What visitor from church have I not reached out to while I'm with the Lord? I distinctly remember being on the beach in Florida with my family on a vacation, feeling like someone is disappointed with me back in Bowling Green. Again, didn't know who it was, didn't know their name, didn't have a face, but I was letting someone down somewhere. Let me ask you, are you, are you there this morning? Does that, does that sound at all like your own heart? Does that sound at all like your own life, where, where you live? Well, by the grace of God, over the last few years, the Lord has stripped away so much insecurity and this performance anxiety and he's done it not by building up more self-confidence. I hadn't started looking in the mirror in the morning saying, I'm good enough, I'm strong enough, and people love me. You know what I mean? I'm not doing that every single morning, right? No, I'm not. The Lord has not built me up with my own self-confidence, but with Christ's confidence. With confidence in the perfect Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not by getting better at, at ministry or, or, or not by improving the quality of my performance on Sundays or by finding the right tools or reading the right books at the new year to make me more productive. No, God's done it by satisfying me with himself. Where I'm resting not in my finished work in any week, but in the finished work of Jesus. And there's no other passage that the Lord's massaged into my heart than this passage. Rooting out my insecurity and discontentment and frustration and pride, there's nothing like Psalm 90, verse 14. And this morning, I'm praying that the Lord would use this one verse in your life today. This one verse in our lives over the next year that we would pray this verse, that God would not satisfy us with our enoughness, but with the enoughness of Jesus. See, Psalm 90 is the oldest psalm in the Psalter. How do I know that? Well, it's the only one ascribed to Moses. It's a song written by Moses. Remember, Moses is writing this song to the Lord in the wilderness. And if you think about the wilderness, is that not a place of great insecurity? There might not be a more insecure place in the world than wandering for 40 years in the wilderness, not knowing where you're going. In fact, most scholars think that in the wilderness, 15,000 people in the people of Israel died every single year. Every day, they would be groaning for food and for water. They were constantly on the move. They really didn't have a place that they were settling. They were feeling unsafe all the time. 
Literally, you have to say that they were walking by faith. This was an easy place for their heart to be restless, an easy place to be insecure. But listen how Moses begins this psalm in verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Listen, the, the most secure people in the world find their dwelling place in the Lord. Out of all the people you know, your friends, your family, the people you saw at the holidays, no matter how much money they have in their bank account, no matter what job security they have, the most secure people in the world are those who are hidden in the Lord. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the saints dwell in their God and have always done so in all ages. This is the gospel reality for all of those, everybody here who is hidden in Jesus Christ. If you're truly saved by grace alone, through faith alone, the Bible says that you have been hidden in Jesus Christ. I've, I've changed my primary, my primary residence. The, the zip code where I, dwell, where I dwell, where I reside now, is in Christ. It's the most secure place in the universe. Is there a more secure place in the universe than having all your sins forgiven, and yet you're completely covered in the righteousness of Christ. Tell me a more secure place than that. But this is the truth. I need this daily reminder. You need this reminder every single day day, every single second of your life. This is the daily drip of gospel IV that I need. I am secure in Christ alone. From every second, Christ is enough. That's what we need every second of our lives. And that's exactly why Moses prays Psalm 90 verse 14. In the midst of the wilderness, in the most insecure place he could be, yet dwelling in the Lord. He says this, Lord, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. What a gift for your heart if you were satisfied in the steadfast love of Jesus. What a gift for everybody in your life. I mean, for your spouse, for your kids, for your friends, for, for your coworkers and neighbors. If you were to be satisfied in the steadfast love of the Lord, what if you woke up every day praying this prayer? What is this prayer asking well, the first thing we see is it says, satisfy us. Satisfy us. When, when you're praying this prayer, you're asking, 
Lord, be enough for me. Lord, be enough for me. We're asking the Lord, Lord, be kind enough, be gracious enough to satisfy me with yourself. Now listen, if you're going to ask something or someone to satisfy you, you better hope that it can. Because that's a big ask, right? It's a big ask for something in this world. Hey, I'm going to need you to complete me. I'm going to need to find my enoughness in you. I need you to be my everything. That's a big ask. It's a huge ask. So you better hope that they can. And listen, your, your school performance or your work performance or your parenting performance will never be enough to satisfy you. And, and your relationship, whatever relationship that you're in that you think somehow completes you, will never be enough to complete you. Your secret sin that you're hiding from other people, whatever idol that, that promises to satisfy you, it will never be enough. Your image your politics, the porn, the, the praise, the food, the drugs, the money, none of this can satisfy you. None of it can satisfy you. Listen, even your self-righteousness, even your hope of being enough will never be enough for you. Russell Moore says this, your idols failing you is not bad news for you. That you can see that they're failing is, in fact, grace. Think about that. Your idol failing you is not bad news. In fact, it's a grace that you can even see that it's failing you. And yet we turn from all these things that could never satisfy us that can never complete us, that could never be enough for us. And we turn to Jesus, and Jesus says these words, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Do you hear the voice of Jesus? I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is saying to you this morning that I alone can satisfy you, and I want to satisfy you with myself. It's the only way you'll be satisfied. We should all be praying that this morning. Lord, satisfy me. And believing that he alone, trusting that he alone can satisfy us. We need to begin every day with this aim, with this prayer on our lips to be satisfied with him. Listen to these words from Charles Spurgeon. He says, my soul, 
Never be satisfied. Listen to, he's talking to himself. It'd be good. We need, this is good talking to yourself, okay? My soul, never be satisfied within a shadowy Christ. I cannot know Christ through another person's brains. I cannot love him with another man's heart. And I cannot see him with another man's eyes. I am so afraid of living in a second-hand religion. God forbid that I should get a biographical experience. Lord, save us from having borrowed communion. No, I must know him myself. Oh God, let me not be deceived in this. I must know him without fancy or proxy. I must know him on my own account. out your prayer this morning. I don't want borrowed religion. I don't want secondhand religion. I want to know Jesus. I want to be satisfied with Jesus. Lord, satisfy us. The next phrase is this, satisfy us in the morning. When you think about who's writing this, I'm sure Moses' mind is going to that daily manna. That bread that came down from heaven that was provided from the Lord every single day. See, every morning the people of God, after they had grown for a while, God gave them this gift of having manna, bread, come down from heaven where they went out in the mornings and they would gather enough bread for that day. And the day before the Sabbath, they would they would gather double for the Sabbath day. And it's a picture that our good God, he not only satisfies us, but he is the only one that can sustain us. He is the only one who can sustain you. He doesn't want you to be sustained by old truths, but by yesterday's manna, no, he's, he's too good for us, too good to us, that daily he gives us more and more of himself. We, we need Jesus to not only save us, not only to satisfy us, but to be what sustains us every single day. And he says here, Lord, do it in the morning. Before my eyes go other places, before my heart wanders back to other idols, before I turn somewhere else, Lord, satisfy us in the morning. You know, it's been a conviction at Christ Fellowship since the beginning. We say this, I'm as desperate for Jesus today as the day I first believed. I'm as desperate for Jesus today as the day I first believed. Do you believe that this morning? That that we never move past the gospel. We never graduate from grace. We are always desperate. There's no grace graduates here. We wake up daily desperate for Jesus. And part of that means that we have to to spend time daily with Jesus. 
not just checking off a box that you read your Bible passage, not just saying a rote prayer, Lord, lead, God, direct me, or whatever you say every single day. I'm talking about getting alone, desperate before the Lord, humble, contrite, trembling before his word, because that's who he says he loves to look at. We want to encourage you to to make this a daily habit. Make it a daily necessity to you as much as eating or breathing. That I need to spend time with Jesus. Listen to what George Mueller, who was an evangelist and who was a, he, he led an orphanage in the 1800s in England. This is what he said. George Mueller said this, the first and great primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. If you're looking for a to-do list for the new year, George Mueller says, the first and great primary business of your day is that you would be happy in the Lord. Lord, satisfy us with your steadfast love that we might rejoice and be glad all our days. The next phrase is, with your steadfast love. Satisfy us with your steadfast love. The word there is hesed. It's the covenant-keeping love of God. The covenant-keeping love of God. I always love the Jesus Storybook Bible. If, if you're like, I don't really understand the Bible, I don't know what the Bible's all about, maybe the first month of the year, get the Jesus Storybook Bible and just hear how the Word is all about Jesus. It's a kid's Bible, but this is how it describes the Hesed, that covenant-keeping love of God. It says that it's God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Is that how you think of the Lord's love? God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. It's it's God's people waking up in the morning, being satisfied not by our good works, not by our greatest accomplishments, not by our best performances, not by our best productivity, not by our self-righteousness. Listen, it's, it's not even us trying to be satisfied by our steadfastness or by our great love for him. No, it's being satisfied in his steadfast love for us. Because we cannot describe our love as never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever. We can can describe ours as always pausing, always with hiccups, always stopping for the moment, not consistent love. But not his steadfast love for us. When, When I think about this verse, my mind also goes to Lamentations 3 where Jeremiah is lamenting about the destruction of Israel. But in the middle of that lament, this is what he says. But this I call to mind, and therefore I I have hope. 
The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Did you hear the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases? There's not a millisecond of pause in his steadfast love for all eternity. There's no hiccup to his hessed love for you. No, it's a well that never runs dry for all eternity. You can bank your life on his steadfast love. Like you can know that tomorrow morning when I wake up, his steadfast love will be waiting for me. And like next Monday morning and, and months from now, and actually we could go out 10 trillion years from now and guess what would be meeting us when we got there? The steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases. I mean, when you see the steadfast love of the Lord in the scriptures, you see it everywhere. I mean, just reading the Psalms, it is all over the place. Every week, I'm reminded of this desperate need of knowing his steadfast love. Just last week, I'm reading in my Bible reading plan. I come to Psalm 143, verse 8, and it says this. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trusted. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love. And, and my mind instantly pictured waking up in the morning before the sun comes up, you know, and it's completely dark. Sometimes I feel like that's every morning now. It's like light for four hours. But I picture waking up in the thick darkness before the rising of the sun. And do you not, do you know what I don't ask when I wake up in the morning? I don't have to wonder, will the sun rise today? Will the sun come up today or is today a day that it'll stay down? No, every single day without fail, the sun rises. And in the same way, every single day, with the rising of the sun, it's like a, the sun coming up and I'm hearing an echo throughout the day that just says, God still loves you, Lance. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It is new every morning. This is what we need every morning. Listen, this is what you need every morning, more than you need everything, anything else. You have to be convinced of that. To be satisfied in the steadfast love of Jesus. You don't wake up in the morning trying harder. Can I do more than I did yesterday? Maybe I can do something today that would turn God's head. Maybe I could do something today that would make him love me somehow, earn his love. Because listen, I promise you, that's where I lived. For most of my Christian life, I would wake up every day 
And for years, I would even pastor thinking, if I do more today, then God would accept me. If I would try harder, maybe he would approve of my effort. If I perform well, surely God will love me. But, but the truth of the gospel is that God loves me not because of me. God loves me because he loves me. That's his reason. God loves me because he loves me. And God loves you because he loves you. He, he so loves me that he would send Jesus to live a perfect life in my place and to die on the cross in my place, to, to display his great love that is unmatched, that's incomparable on the cross. And it's only through trusting in Jesus and resting in Jesus and collapsing all your hope, not in you, but in Jesus, that you can know the steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases. Maybe this morning you've never turned from your sins. You've never turned away from the idols that keep breaking your heart to run to Jesus who always will satisfy you. Listen to Jesus saying, come to me. I will forever satisfy you. I will forever be enough for you. John Owen says, the greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to him is to not believe that he loves you. The greatest unkindness is to not believe that the Father loves you. So let me ask you this morning, do you wake up looking for approval or living from it? Because that's where true freedom is found. Do, do you wake up in the morning hoping people will accept you, hoping people will like you, hoping people will praise you, or do you wake up in the morning already knowing God delights in you? Do you wake up in the morning and, and going out into the world looking for love or do you know you are fully loved already in Christ? Going into the world, not looking for love, but living from his love. Because that's a big difference, right? If you're going out looking for love, people are going to dis disappoint you. People are going to frustrate you. People are going to break your heart. People are going to let you down. But if you go into the world from his love, resting in the steadfast love of the Lord, then you don't go in the world looking for love. You go in the world to love. To love like you've been loved. What if you began every morning waking as soon as your eyes open, praying, Lord, satisfy us. Lord, satisfy me this morning with your steadfast love. Before I do anything else, satisfy me with your love. And here's the reason why. The last phrase, that we may 
rejoice and be glad all our days. That we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Listen, I think the, the secret weapon of the church, the secret weapon of the Christian life that sets the church apart from the world is joy. It's true joy in Jesus. Unceasing joy in the unceasing love of Jesus. The world needs God's people to be so satisfied in the love of Jesus that it's noticeable. That it's noticeable. Because listen, the, the truth is, listen, you can't fake being satisfied in Jesus and you can't hide being satisfied in Jesus. Both things are equally true. You can't fake being satisfied in Jesus and you can't hide being satisfied in Jesus. You can't miss the truth when people have turned to Jesus and found the all-satisfying one because the evidence is, is, is in their joy. The evidence is in their joy. It's like a Julie Curtis laugh out in the foyer that you hear. You know it's present when they have the joy. Listen to these first three verses of Psalm 126. It says this, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Let, let me put that in our new covenant terms. When the Lord restored the, the fortunes of Christ's fellowship, and we were like those who dreamed. Our, our mouth was filled with laughter. Our, our tongue was shouts of joy. Then they said among Bowling Green, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. God's people being so filled with laughter, so filled with shouts of joy, that the nations can't help but notice. Our city can't help but notice. I call it the, the laughter of the loved. The laughter of the loved. When you know that I'm loved fully, I'm fully known and I'm fully loved in Jesus and it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with Jesus. It's the laughter of the love. When you're so satisfied as a sinner because you've been loved by God that you can't hold it in, you can't hide it anymore. Those who've been rescued by Jesus who rejoice in him all their days and it can't be missed. When we have this type of joy, listen, your neighbors will take notice. And your kids will will take notice in the kitchen. And your friends will 
take notice when you spend time with them. And the nations will notice when we go to them. And our coworkers will notice when we're with them. They won't notice your jabs on Twitter as a Christian. They don't notice your gotcha post about politics on Facebook. What they'll notice, what stands out, what matters is joy in Jesus. They won't notice you being right. They won't notice you always being frustrated. They don't care that you win every argument. No, it's your laughter of being loved. It's your joy in Jesus that sets you apart. What would it look like if Christ's fellowship made joy in Jesus unignorable in Bowling Green? What would it look like if we made joy in Jesus unignorable in Bowling Green? What if our joy displayed and declared his all-satisfying love that met us this morning? What would that look like? What would happen to our neighborhood? What would happen in our city? Let me ask us this morning, Christ Fellowship. What? Tell me, why would we not begin praying this prayer? Why would we not begin praying, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we might rejoice and be glad all our days? Maybe a better question. Why would God not want to answer it? Tell me, why would God not have so much joy answering that prayer? Why would he not want to satisfy us with himself for our great joy, for his great glory, that we would be so satisfied in him that it would overflow in great joy out of us, that it brings more joy to him? I want to invite you this morning. I want to invite every single one of us to pray that prayer this morning, to keep praying that prayer this morning. And I promise you, listen, I promise you, you will not be disappointed with the answer. You will not be disappointed when Jesus gives you more of himself for your joy and his glory.